Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and well, we got a good show for you guys today. It's going to be a fun show, talking about some some interesting topics, starting with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and some milestones that they could hit this upcoming season. We'll get into a star player that is still on the free agent market that might find his way to Pittsburgh. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about whether or not that would be a good fit. And then at the end of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about football. The Netflix series quarterback came out, and we're going to equate that to hockey, Horwat. But let's start with the Pittsburgh Penguins in the most Penguin-centric segment that we have, and that is which Penguin star will reach their next milestone first. Both Penguin star centers are closing in on another milestone. Crosby is 89 points shy of reaching the top 10 in NHL history and scoring, while Evgeny Malkin is just 29 goals shy of the magical number of 500 career goals. Who do you think will reach their respective milestone first? It's a matter of who hits it first is what makes it very uh, interesting and very difficult. I think on the poll on Twitter, I think I went with Malkin for the sake of, I mean, it's just another 29-goal season to him. But then I'm kind of looking at the numbers and realizing he hasn't had a 29-goal season in quite a while. Capped off last year in full 82 with 27. Um, it's a question of whether or not he even gets to 29 this season. Uh, he would essentially have to hit 30. So it's looking at him as at the age of 37, hitting th- hitting a 30-goal season. While it's very much possible, um, I think it might. I think a lot less of it is possible now. So it would essentially take all 82 to get it. Um, so I'd have to switch my answer despite the statistics on Twitter, so don't take those into account, <laughs> for Sidney uh, Crosby hitting 89 first just because uh, consistency is key in the name of Crosby's game, right? He's never had a season under a point per game, uh, and 89 is just a very, very reachable number for him, especially if he's able to play all 82 again. Yeah, Sidney Crosby finished last season with 93 points, and that was even with what most people would describe for Sidney Crosby as a poor finish. I mean, the team fighting for a playoff spot, and he goes out and scores 10 points in the final 14 games. That is, for most players, a good stretch or a decent stretch. For Sidney Crosby, that's uncharacteristic, especially with the importance of those final 14 games. And if you're looking for more narrative, that is from the New York Rangers game on a Sunday night where they lost like 7 to nothing to the end of the season. That that's the stretch that he had to finish the year, and he still had 93 points on the season. Crosby has never failed to reach a point per game in his career over 18 seasons. He trails only Wayne Gretzky, who had 19 point per game seasons in his career. So if he plays all 82, what you mentioned is, is a caveat for both of these players because neither of them are going to reach these milestones this season if they miss any significant amount of time, even if it's 10% of the season, if you miss 10 games, it's going to be hard for both of these players to hit those marks. But if they play all 82, it's likely Crosby will get at least 82. And is it really that far out of the realm of possibility that he tacks on seven more to that? No. So I I would agree with you as well. Uh, I would also agree with our listener vote on Twitter. I mean, 62% said Sidney Crosby will hit this milestone first. 38% said Evgeny Malkin. The only thing that gives me pause about Evgeny Malkin is he scored 27 goals last season. 
and that was his first really healthy season in a long time. Mm-hmm. That was his first, or the, sorry, excuse me. He hasn't scored 29 goals since 2017-18, but he did put up 42 in that season. So can he get more than 27? Yes, I could see it. Could he get more than 35? No. So you're really playing a fine line here in this season. Another big factor in that is, do the Penguins end up getting Eric Carlson? Because if they do, I think Evgeny Malkin's power play goal numbers are going to skyrocket because... You know, we, we've talked about that. We talked about it on Tuesday. So go back and listen to that, what we think the, the power play would look like with Eric Carlson. But I, I think at least one iteration would be Carlson and his dangerous one-timer on the left side and Malkin his dangerous one-timer on the right side. And I think that opens things up for Malkin to get more one-timers off. And that means more goals. So do I think with another full season and a full healthy offseason, Evgeny Malkin would be able to, to eclipse 29 goals in the 2023-24 season? Yeah, but if I'm going, what's more likely to happen? It is Crosby. Yeah, it's more likely to happen. It's and let's just also be blunt here. It's very possible that neither of these guys hit these numbers uh, this season, yes. even with even fully healthy. You know, it, age is uh, quite a fickle thing to re, to deal with here. Uh, Crosby is going to be 36. Malkin will be 37. Um, they could be healthy players and still not hit these numbers because the league is getting younger and faster around them. Uh, and it's, let's also say if we don't get Carlson, <clears throat> how much help are these guys really getting uh, overall? I mean, yeah, Jake Gantz is going to be a great help to Sidney Crosby, but uh, you know who knows what Brian Rust or Ricard Raquel are going to do now that they are also 30-plus. Uh, on the second line, Riley Smith, maybe there's not a chemistry there. You, know, you never know what's going to happen with Riley Smith and Evgeny Malkin. Plus, like I mentioned before, uh, Rust and Raquel. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I think we're all confident enough, though, that um, they could easily hit these numbers this year, both of them. Uh, just a matter of who's doing it first. And like you said, if good old Eric Carlson rolls around, hmm. everyone's numbers are going to be inflated a little bit. So that's a huge bonus. And if we land him, then the the conversation will roll back around again for sure. It's interesting, and we didn't plan on talking about Eric Carlson on today's episode, but, I mean, it is obviously the underlying storyline around the Pittsburgh Penguins over the past 20 days now as we're in day 20 of Eric Carlson watch. But if the Penguins do acquire him, I'm curious as to what you think about this. Who does that benefit more, Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin? I would say Chris Letang, but <laughs> um, of those yeah. two, um, oh, see, I don't know. I would say Crosby. Crosby likes, you know, dishing the puck around a little more often than Malkin does. We've all seen that. Um, I think Crosby will probably tack on a few extra assists with Carlson uh, in his lineup, just kind of being able to drop to the blue line or even pick up a couple extra secondary assists if Carlson begins feeding other people or if Carlson's rifling from the point. Um, I would say Crosby just for the sake of he's a bit more of a playmaker than Malkin is. Whereas mm. Malkin, don't get me wrong, is a great playmaker, but I think we've always discussed his finishing ability over his uh, playmaking ability. See, I would go the other direction with that. And there's one very specific reason why I think Evgeny Malkin benefits a little bit more than Sidney Crosby. It's not the the power play reasoning that I, I mentioned earlier, although that is a pretty good, good reason to think that Evgeny Malkin would benefit with Eric Carlson on the opposite half wall on the power play. But... 
thinking about what these two players do and, and Crosby and Malkin and at their age, what kind of skills are they losing and how they can adapt? Sidney Crosby has gone from being a guy that really makes his bread and butter off the rush. He was a difficult person to, to get the puck away from when he was coming in with a head of steam. He's not that anymore. Neither is Evgeny mm-hmm. Malkin. But Crosby has really fine-tuned his game to where now he does the majority of his work in the cycling below the net. He can just completely kill you behind the net because you can't get the puck away from him. He can just drain your defense. And the line mates that he has been surrounded with are also good at that. Jake Gensel. Ricard Raquel is phenomenal at making sure that he keeps possession of the puck in the tight areas. So Crosby has adapted in which Malkin... Yes, I'm not taking anything away from Malkin's skill and his ability to adapt and play really well at the age of, what, 36 last year, 37 this year. But that game off the rush, that success off the rush is something that is missing from Evgeny Malkin's game. It really hasn't been prevalent for the Pittsburgh Penguins in a long time. They're not an off-the-rush team, whereas Eric Carlson, at the age of 33 can still break into the zone with a lot of speed. And if he's able to do that on the rush with Evgeny Malkin's line on the ice, that's going to open up lanes, that's going to open up opportunities, and I think that opens up more chances for Evgeny Malkin to be a finisher with Eric Carlson being the primary puck handler going into the zone on certain shifts, on certain plays, where I think that that would benefit Evgeny Malkin a lot as well. It's fair. That's a fair point, too. It's... Um, obviously, they're both going to benefit from him. Also, Crosby doesn't necessarily need Eric Carlson, right? No. He can. He's perfectly fine of not necessarily carrying a team, but performing up to his standard without the help of uh, a superstar talent. I mean, not that Malkin isn't able to do that as well, uh, but at the you know, like we mentioned, at the age of going to be thirty-seven. Uh, all the help these guys can get will benefit everyone. Uh, so, yeah, you know, Malkin's also a really good answer for that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about last year when the Pittsburgh Penguins acquired Jeff Petrie around this this time of the year. Whereas it was, okay, Sidney Crosby usually has Chris Letang on the ice with him, right? Like, if there is a shift where all lines are ready to go, right, not tired, ready to go, Letang is going to go with Crosby, Mm-hmm. And that's going to help him because Latang's the best player on the Pittsburgh Penguins when it comes to getting the puck and transitioning from defense to offense on the blue line. If you bring in Eric Carlson, like they did with Petrie last year, Petrie came to the Penguins, people were like, okay, that's going to help first pass get Evgeny Malkin's line going a little bit more. He gets to play with a true puck mover, although, I mean, Mike Matheson was similar to that, but Matheson liked to carry the puck more than than send that first pass out. So it's a similar thing with Carlson, whereas I think Carlson, though, is not just, as I mentioned, he's able to carry the puck out, he's able to enter the zone of speed, but he also is great when it comes to making that first pass out of the defensive zone and setting the forwards off on the breakaway or the breakout or whatever you want to, whatever situation you want to call it. So I think it's similar to the Jeff Petrie situation, except Eric Carlson is Jeff Petrie on offense times, what, five at least? Right? He's the Norris Trophy winner. He had 102 points last season. He is that to the 10th degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's... That's exactly it. That's, I have nothing else to add to that. He is, he is everything that Petrie brings, but more. Maybe not as much on the defensive side, but at the same time, yeah. I mean, when you're getting that much more offensive upside and when you're bringing in a guy the caliber of Eric Carlson, you just deal with it. But before we head to our next segment, I do want to ask this. 
Malkin getting 500 goals, Crosby getting top 10 in the NHL in scoring. Which of those milestones means the most to the respective player for their actual legacies? Malkin 500. Everyone already knows the legacy of Crosby, right? He's No matter what happens, he's going to hit top 10. He's already a three-time champion. He's already, I mean, you probably could have slated him as a Hall of Famer 10 years ago. Uh, it's There's no doubting what his legacy is, whereas Malkin has always kind of had to fight for his relevancy. I mean, he's the only player since Wayne Gretzky in 93 to put up uh, 35, 36 points in a single postseason. Mm-hmm. He did it at the age of 22. He's the only player that we really always discussed this this far past it as who should have been on the NHL 100 list. You can make arguments for other people, but Malkin's always the one that comes up first. Um, it's I, I forget what other stat I saw recently, but uh, it's not that he's consistently disrespected, but he's consistently not given his proper flowers and you know hitting 500 goals is a huge number and would be huge for him especially uh, considering how he gets looked over every possible turn in this league yeah you mentioned the hall of fame and that's really what the big 500 milestone is about most players almost all players that hit 500 career goals end up in the hockey hall of fame not that I think there's a chance that Evgeny Malkin will get snubbed from the Hall of Fame like he's gotten snubbed from certain things in the past. But at the same time, it just leaves less doubt because at the end of the day, if you're Evgeny Malkin or somebody that supports Evgeny Malkin, there's always going to be doubt in your mind that, hey, people are going to look at Evgeny Malkin as a product of Sidney Crosby. And that's just, just not the fact. Like, that, that's not true. That's not what is been the story the entire time, right? These guys don't play on a line together. It's not McDavid Drysidle. They they rarely play on a line together, and when they do, it's in desperation situations. And does it work out? More often than not, it doesn't. It's just you know we're trying something. The Penguins need to get something going. So you know what? At the end of the day, no other answers. Throw Malkin and Crosby together. They have played on separate lines, pretty much their entire career, and I've obviously both have dealt with different issues, different injuries throughout their career. But getting to 500 goals is a massive, massive deal for Evgeny Malkin. Not that getting in the top 10 and scoring isn't for Sidney Crosby, but like you mentioned, Crosby not only is a Hockey Hall of Famer, no doubt, not only is a top 10 player, no doubt, mm-hmm. he's probably a top 5 player in the history of the NHL already. So any other milestones from here is just gravy to add on to the end of his you know, resume. But honestly... I do believe both of them hit this mark this season, right? Because like Elton John, this is the third I Am Comeback Tour for Evgeny Malkin. The only difference is it's a double feature with Sidney Crosby because people are already counting them out. Oh, this isn't a playoff team anymore. Uh, Crosby, Malkin, you know, we saw it last season. They can't just carry a team no matter who's on it to the playoffs anymore. This is I Am Comeback Tour Part 3. First time was coming back from the injury for Evgeny Malkin. Second time was coming back after the contract and people said he didn't deserve it. Third time is coming back from missing the postseason and people thinking they're going to do it again. I am come back to our double feature, part three. Put it on the marquee. There we go. It's a co-headline. That's all it is. There you go. I can't think of an example right now, but it's going to be quite... So it's gonna be something to watch. These two, a year after missing the postseason, are going to be driven. And you know, their stats aren't guaranteed, but their drive is going to be there. They're gonna to want to do everything they can to win. And 
you know, it, not, we discussed it with around the 4-1-2 last night. This this team got marginally better. Uh, there's going to still be a lot of uh, a lot of pressure on the core to perform, and it's going to come back to this until the, until the deal is done. It's going to keep coming back to this. Adding Eric Carlson alleviates a lot of that pressure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he does. He takes a lot of the scoring off the shoulders of Crosby and Malkin, and even Latang to a degree, um, and puts it upon himself. He is another superstar to watch. And sure, the defense acumen isn't there. But if it is any sort of, you know, relief to fans, Tristan Jar is confident in his health this season. Everyone else is confident in his health this season. And if it's worth anything, the bottom six got better defensively. So uh, maybe a few less pucks will be seeing Jari, but adding Carlson will alleviate a lot of the pressure that is still going to sit on the shoulders of the core to perform despite their age. Outscoring your problems. You know, it's a tale as old as time in the NHL. Teams try to do that. Some teams succeed. Some teams don't necessarily do that. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, which NHL superstar is still on the market and would be an interesting move for the Pittsburgh Penguins? We'll discuss that after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by Inside the Penguins. I'm Nick Berlansky. That's Nick Horwat talking Pittsburgh Penguins hockey right now. And this segment actually comes to us via a listener question from Zach DeRosa on Twitter. He says, if Dubas is able to clear up cap space by shedding Petrie, Ruta, Granlund, would you take a risk by signing Patrick Kane? If he takes a low-cost, one-year deal. What say you, Horwat? There's a lot of players I would take on one-year deals. One-year deals are, it's not that they're, you know, simple, easy contracts, but there's plenty of players I would take on one-year deals, and this also will kind of fall back into uh, part of what we discussed with uh, Zach and Tyler yesterday on their show. A backup plan for Eric Carlson could involve a forward instead. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to land another defenseman, maybe you shoot for someone. I think it was uh, Smitty that said a middle six forward. On this team at this day and age, that's likely exactly what Patrick Kane is. A oh, middle yeah. six guy that uh, might still be able to score some goals for you. <clears throat> Didn't have the greatest of seasons last year, but I think we would take 21. He had in total 73 games between Chicago and uh, the New York Rangers. 21 goals in 73 games. I think we would take that from second line next to Evgeny Malkin. Uh, which wing is he? Is he He's a left, right winger. Right winger? Left shot, right, right wing. See, and then what does that do? That bumps Brian Russ down to the third line, maybe. Maybe Ricard Raquel to the third line, if if Mike Sullivan really feels that. Maybe Patrick Kane plays on the third line, because he's coming off of an injury and is also on the wrong side of 30. He's going to be 35 in November, so, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's all of a sudden another aging player that old Yenzers don't want to see, <laughs> don't want to see added to this lineup because we're probably going to be the oldest team in the league again. Get ready for that. Um, but I think 
if you're able to afford it and able to cut it for one season, like I said, there's a lot of players I would take on for one season. Patrick Kane is absolutely one of them. Mm-hmm. For a year to see what he can still do. Middle six guy, especially if you fall out on Carlson. Fire away, why not? Like I said with the Carlson deal, it's just time to have some fun. It's mm-hmm. the end of Crosby and Malkin's career. It's time to just throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. But but wisely, in a smart way. And I think Patrick Kane will be in a smart way, especially if it's just one year. You mentioned that he's coming off of an injury. He underwent hip resurfacing surgery in June, and the recovery timetable would be between four to six months. So at the latest, you're looking around uh, a mid to late December return for Patrick Kane to the NHL. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. One, Patrick Kane, around the time that the news of that surgery came out, uh, Patrick Kane had made it known that he would like to go back to the New York Rangers and play for his childhood team. Okay, the only problem is New York Rangers are in a little bit of a cap crunch. They obviously signed K. Andre Miller to a large contract extension. They're trying to deal with Alexi Lafreniere. As of right now, they might not have the space to bring back Patrick Kane. The other interesting tidbit in this is Patrick Kane's agent, Pat Brisson, who is mm-hmm. also the agent for Sidney Crosby. Is there a connection there? Is there a desire there from Patrick Kane to play with somebody that their careers have been on parallel trajectories but never really intersected, right? I mean, Patrick Kane and Sidney Crosby have played each other, but considering one was in the Western Conference the most of his career, the other one's in the Eastern Conference, they never matched up in the playoffs, they never faced off in the finals. These two careers have been parallel for 15, 16, 17 seasons. Is there a desire on Kane's part to join up with basically the other side of the pillow, right? It's the flip side of the coin for somebody who has been a Chicago Blackhawk great for his entire career to say, okay, what was the other most successful team in the cap era besides the team that I played on? That's the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang. Does he have any desire to join up with them and try to get a fourth Stanley Cup together instead of separately? <laughs> it's hard to say no to it, right? I mean, it's an interesting... It would be a very interesting storyline. It would be, yeah. And if he really does want to return to the Rangers, I mean, as of right now, the Rangers are projected to have about $2 million in cap space, and they still have to sign uh, Lafreniere. If they're able... They'd have to make some movements, make some adjustments if they wanted to add Patrick Kane. And when you mention the fact that he's going to be missing at least until December, you know, at least till November, December, you have to wonder what kind of money he's going to make, right? Mm-hmm. Like genuinely, how much can you earn when you're going to be missing uh, a good chunk of the season? Even if, especially on just a one-year deal, like how much can you honest, honestly uh, demand? It can't be that much, can it? Well, here's one quote from Pat Brisson in the New York Post uh, around the time of the surgery. He said, quote, he's not thinking about hockey at the moment. He's thinking about recovery and getting healthy. If you offered me a one or two year deal at $7 million, I'm not sure I'd even look at it right now. So does that tell you that that's around what they're hoping for? The fact that he said a number know. at all. Yeah. yeah, the fact that he said a number at all makes it seem like seven is probably what he'd like to see. Um, five is probably more around what he's going to make at the age of 35 coming off of a hip surgery going on a short-term deal. But 
that just seems like a little too much, especially for a player that here's the biggest here's the biggest con about him. He's really just a power play specialist at this point, is he not? Like he's he's got great hands, he's got great vision, he's always going to be the facilitator that he's been his entire career. But how much better is he going to look after this hip surgery at 35 years old? That's the question, right? And are you really willing to pay seven million dollars for a guy that yes he was injured, but Last year showed signs of deterioration and decline. He had 57 points in 73 games, which, yes, that would be great to add to the Pittsburgh Penguins next season. But they have so many players at that price tag already that do you really want to add another one? Now, again, that the caveat coming from Zach was Dubas already had to have shed Petrie, Ruda, Granlund. I'm not sure where Carlson is in this equation. We're just going to leave that to the side. But if you shed those three, then, yeah, sure. Um, obviously you need another defenseman because you're shedding two right shot defensemen and there's no mention of Eric Carlson. There's no mention of, you know, anybody else. It's probably what Rue Weedle and Ty Smith at that point who you have left in the organization. But <laughs> I, I, it would be fun. It's more of a move I would make on my second Blackberry on NHL 13 than a move <laughs> that I would consider making right now at the NHL level if I was the Pittsburgh Penguins president of Hockey Ops. Yeah, it's just kind of a silly, goofy mood season it's uh question and i yeah and i don't hate the question heading into last season uh i can remember i think it was frank zerbali mentioned that don't be surprised if the penguins were in on patrick on a patrick kane trade at some point or another now ron hextall didn't want to get involved in any sort of big trade like that so we missed out on that opportunity and it's I mean, it would have cost an arm and a leg for us anyway, given the situation we were in. And it would still cost an arm and a leg. And even $5 million seems like, a, that seems a little steep to me, considering, even for one year, considering coming off of an injury, you're only going to play about half the season. And not that, not that he's not a bad player. He's a future Hall of Famer, no doubt. But what else do you have to offer other than, man, you could score on the power play? Mm-hmm. And I got nothing else on it. It's it's a great fun idea. It really is. I think it's really interesting. But there's just not much, uh, especially. I mean, if if we miss out on Kane, I would or uh, Carlson, then it you know, nah. Let's see what we can toss around as an idea. Uh, adding Carlson though pretty much takes us out of that running. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, even if you shed those three players that were mentioned in the question. And you had Carlson. There's <laughs> not going to be a lot of space left. But, you know, here's the difference. If you don't land Carlson, and all of a sudden, Kyle Dubas says, you know what? Uh, we're not happy with the team the way it's currently constructed. We need another move. He buys out Granlin. There's $4 million. He trades Ruta and doesn't retain anything. That's $5, 6000000 million. All of a sudden, okay, Patrick Kane at $5 million. Come on. let's. There, there's your added offensive input. No, it's not to the level of what Eric Carlson would bring you. But... I mean, what are you losing in that scenario where Ruda goes out, you have Petrie still, which is, I mean, unfortunate, but he's still a player that went healthy last season, did have some really good moments, and then you put in Ty Smith on the third pairing, you put in Chad Ruedel on the third pairing. Yes, it's not as, you know, sexy as adding Eric Carlson and still having Jan Ruda and then putting Ty Smith on the left side and having three true offensive defensemen run right down your three pairings, but, I mean... It is something that would certainly grab headlines. And I, I do think that 
I, it, the only thing I'm trying not to do now is the thing I'm cautioning people about with Tristan Jari. Don't get in the mindset so much of the what have you done for me lately because this player was playing with an injury, right? Tristan Jari, he struggled. He was playing with an injury, but he was good when he was healthy. Patrick Kane was playing with an injury last year, struggled, but the year prior he had 90-some points on Chicago. So, again, don't want to fall into that trap. Not sure what what you're going to see from him, but the last thing we've seen from Patrick Kane was that he didn't add much to the New York Rangers roster after that trade. A trade in which the Rangers decided, you know what, Patrick Kane's been saying he wants to come here all season long. Let's go out and get Vladimir Tarasenko instead. And then they were basically forced to make the move because Patrick Kane was was unhappy that the Rangers went a different direction. So they went around, made a different move, and ended up actually acquiring Patrick Kane at the end of the day. And he didn't really add much there. He provides little to no defensive support. You know, there there's pros and cons to this thing. But at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, obviously Carlson is, is plan A. I feel like there's better plan Bs than Patrick Kane. Yeah, there absolutely is. And Patrick Kane is just a fun option. It's just that idea of another Hall of Famer to add to the list of <laughs> players to join this team. I mean, yeah, 92 points the season prior isn't bad, especially on a bad Chicago Blackhawks team. Uh, it's just not one of those things you focus on right now. It's interesting, but mm-hmm. um, now if, if as a backup plan, maybe that's a maybe that's a plan C, right? It's a, all right now. We really need to dig deep to add to this team. Yeah, maybe if you can't. I mean, I don't know when. I got to look into that. Offer sheets confuse me so. Uh, you know, when can you offer sheet Troy Terry? I mean, that's a name Smitty brought up yesterday on around the 412. And I was like, man, that is an interesting scenario going on out there in Anaheim with obviously Troy Terry being an RFA heading to arbitration and same goes with Trevor Zegras. So it is certainly, uh, certainly something to monitor out there. Not to mention they have a goaltender that doesn't want to be there. Not that the Penguins are in a goaltender sweepstakes. They do have 35 of them under contract right now, but uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Let's have a little bit of fun, Horowat. The mm-hmm. series quarterback has hit Netflix, rave reviews. What happens if you bring that to the NHL? We'll discuss that after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Horwat, I'll ask you before we start this. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about the docuseries quarterback that just hit Netflix following three NFL quarterbacks throughout the entirety of last season. They followed Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs, Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings, and Marcus Mariota of the Atlanta Falcons. Did you watch any of this? I know it just came out and you're not the first to jump on NFL content, but have you watched <laughs> any of this or seen any clips of this? I'm barely the first to jump on Netflix content too. So <laughs> I've caught the preview for it. I caught uh, a couple of clips flipping through, looking for shows on Netflix recently. When, what's this Patrick Mahomes thing? 
Because I don't care that much about Patrick Mahomes. I do. I, I, I really like Patrick Mahomes. His wife is a different story. She's a little annoying. <laughs> so I was going to say. I mean, see, the show paints her out to be more normal, which I think is probably best other than social media persona. Let's not forget his brother either. Uh, who is, there's... to this point, I've watched two and a half episodes. To this point, other than seeing him in the background, has not been in any of it, which is oh. which is chef's kiss. Good. Maybe I will watch it. Uh, I've seen the preview of it, but I have not seen any of it yet. Uh, I think it's interesting, especially considering the season that Mahomes had. Obviously, Super Bowl winning quarterback. Uh, and the one of the previews that I saw was... Um, uh, what was it? The one where he got injured was like, off the, the field for like 15 seconds and immediately ran back in. Uh, I yeah. I, yeah, that was I kind of forgot that happened. That was the divisional yeah. round against the Jacksonville Jaguars. He missed a series that... Uh, anything is possible. Chad Henney came in and went 97 yards to score a touchdown for the Chiefs offense. And you just look at it and you say, oh, okay. And then, of course, Mahomes plays the rest of the postseason on a bum ankle. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot that even happened. So mm-hmm. uh, that kind of drew me in a little more. I, I'm interested. I will have to watch it, especially considering Netflix has knocked out of the park every uh, like series that they've done like this so far. I've heard Drive to Survive was really good. It got a ton of people into F1. Full swing on the on the uh, golf guys was really good. Breaking point for tennis is apparently really good too. They've knocked all these out of the park so far, so I'm sure this is just another home run for them. Yeah, renewed for a second season. It'll be interesting to see what three quarterbacks they follow this year. But let's let's bring this back into the realm of hockey here, as we tend to do on the tip of the iceberg. Before we get into the three players that we would select around the league, if you had to pick a Pittsburgh Penguin, who are you following around next season? Okay, so is Mark Friedman a cheap answer? Because he's not necessarily a <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguin, but he just, every time he walks into a room, he demands it. Uh, and not in, like, the a-hole way. He's just genuinely, like, he seems like a very fun person to be around, always goofing around with at the, the, in the proper way. Uh, that would be part of my answer if I had to give a second one. I mean, Kapanen would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh just trying to think. I feel like Brian Dumoulin would have been interesting, just like as an off-ice personality. Uh, but if I had to earnestly pick one off the top, I'm sticking with my Mark Friedman choice and then mm-hmm. throwing in and Evgeny Malkin. Yeah. Because uh, he just seems to live a very interesting life that we, we all know of, but also not really. I mean, the way he's active on social media is hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's never not funny whenever he tweets or Instagram comments. So uh, just seeing what his personal and what his mind is like off the ice, that could be uh, really interesting. Mm -hmm. If this was last season, I like that you mentioned, you know, Brian Dumlin would have been interesting. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen would have been interesting. If this was last season, I would have loved to have somebody follow around Jason Zucker. He just seems like an interesting human being. I mean, we saw some of his personality show, obviously pregame with Potash, the water bottle stuff that he was doing, being the chauffeur to all of his teammates on the uh, Halloween party and actually like going all out to be the chauffeur with his, uh, with his wife, Carly. But, you know, selfishly, this would not be good television. I'm warning you now, like, once we get to the three that we believe, I'm going to try to make the best television possible. This would not be good television, but I just want to know what Sidney Crosby does outside of the 60 minutes that he plays and the two minutes that we get post game of him giving the same stock answers time in and time out. We haven't seen or heard much about him in over 18 years. 
18 years. There are some people that until his thousandth game did not know that he had a significant other. Like there are a lot, a large portion of the fan base was like, oh, he's, he's in a relationship. Like did Mm -hmm. not know that this is somebody that listen, that's not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to, to professional sports and athletes and stars. That's not a bad thing. Hockey doesn't have as much of an issue as the other sports do, but it would be interesting to see one, another side of him and two, the preparation that he puts himself through throughout a season, especially at this point when you're trying to get that last Stanley Cup. What does he do? How does he prioritize his time? I think that would be fascinating. Probably not for a national audience, probably not for most of an audience, but for people that are really interested in Sidney Crosby, the person as well, and the just the mental driver of Sidney Crosby, I think that would be a very interesting watch. You're... Yeah, I'm with you on that. That'd be interesting just to see because you have to figure. I mean, we've all, we've all seen every episode of In the Room, right? Who are yes. who are people they've never? Then there's always like the little feature segment about a certain player. They've never done one on Crosby or Malkin. It's I mean they don't need to, mm-hmm. but that's maybe at least for in Crosby's case, that's kind of part of it is that he doesn't want the cameras following him around or even in his house for a day. Uh, that but it'd be interesting to even get a little bit of that just to kind of know what goes on. I think we're all kind of curious. We know he has a personality. We know there is something there. It just kind of needs to be uncovered. We've seen little bits of it here and there. We understand that he eats, sleeps, and breathes hockey, but during the offseason, we know he likes his fishing. Know he likes his cabin up in Nova Scotia. Uh, but... What else goes on? Like during the season, is there anything else happening? Is there, <laughs> is, or is it just genuinely? I'm in my garage shooting bucks. Like, is there anything? And we, I'm sure that's something we'd all love to know. I guess he reads a lot. I've overheard that he's a good, he's a big reader. Um, oh man, we're we're making riveting television here. <laughs> just Sidney Crosby television. reading. <laughs> but it's um, you know, what kind of shows does he put on? It's it's. All interesting stuff that I'm sure we'll get to know more once he, his retirement day comes. I'm mm-hmm. sure the, the camera crew will follow him then because it's, hey, what, what are you going to do? Kick us out? You have nothing to worry about anymore. Mm. So, uh, But that's a great answer, too, just to know what goes on. Plus, one of the biggest names in the sport. It's hard to not pick that one to follow. Yeah, the most airtime that I can remember Sidney Crosby getting on, on In the Room is when he went back to Ramuski for his number retirement. Like that's right. That's yeah. that's the most. And I, I briefly remember and correct me if I'm wrong. They did go up to his his cabin in Nova Scotia the one time. That was an entire documentary on that, wasn't it? Like an entire it episode based around. Oh, I forget what it was. It, called. it might not have been in the room. It might have been something for Sportsnet. But I mean, I digress on that point. Regardless, while you while you search that up, but no, yeah, you know. Following Sidney Crosby around, the other aspect of it before we get into which three players we'd like to, to follow around around the National Hockey League, the other interesting aspect of it is the mic'd up moments on the ice. Like, we saw Patrick Mahomes and Max Crosby, they're back and forth from last year's game where the Raiders went up 17 nothing, and then Patrick Mahomes threw, like, five touchdown passes to Travis Kelsey, and they're, you know, cussing each other out. He's, you know, shit-talking all up and down the sideline for the Kansas City Chiefs. What does Crosby say on the ice? Like, clearly, he's somebody that trash talks. I mean, every NHL yeah. player 
pretty much trash talks. I mean, the only one that I can tell that is bad at it is Jake Gensel. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Every time they show a clip of Jake Gensel trying to chirp, it's just, it's absolutely embarrassing. Um, yeah. Especially like when it's, when he gets mad, it just, you know, Gensie, great player, horrible at chirping, but no, I'd be interested to see like what Sidney Crosby says and what people say to Sidney Crosby uh, in the course of an 82 season, 82 game season. Yeah, and they did do a, I don't know who did it, but it's on the Pittsburgh Penguins YouTube account. Uh, Sidney Crosby, there's no place like home. This is a first person account of a kid named Sidney in a town that helped him become who he is today, Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. But there's a little thing with Nathan McKinnon in here. It looks like the uh, the Cole Harbor, or like the Halifax, yeah. uh, Sidney Crosby youth camp. Yeah, I think uh, that's if I remember TV correctly. Yeah, it might be. And then if I remember, there's like a little interview with like him. I believe that's Nathan McKinnon. Gord Miller is up there. Mm-hmm. It's a cool little thing I've watched before. That uh, So they've definitely done stuff with him. Mm-hmm. As he's gotten older, he's gotten more. And uh, sorry, I popped back to the YouTube main page and the, uh, the screen cap that uh, Smitty decided to use on our <laughs> episode popped back up. So uh, yes. go watch that episode. Anyway, around the NHL. <laughs> Yes, uh, I'll I'll do. Actually, you know what? Give me give me your th- three first. Oh man, I didn't come up with three. You put more thought into this than I did. But oh okay. If I, off the top, easy. I mean, because everyone knows what personalities you want to follow. Um, people want to will probably immediately want to jump to Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, guys like that. I feel like Mar- uh, Matthews might be stiff as a board and just really unentertaining off the ice. Uh, but I bet Mitch Marner's a a hoot. So mm-hmm. I would say. He would be a choice. Trevor Zegers is an easy one. Uh, the young up-and-comer that... What kind of... What does he offer uh, for off-the-ice stuff? And then much in the same way that... Uh, I would pick Malkin for the Penguins' choice. Gotta go with Vetchkin, right? Yeah, that that's one that I, I, I had thought about a lot. I didn't end up putting him in my three, but I mean, the chase for Gretzky, trying to get back to a second Stanley Cup, yeah, that that's really it. and just a genuinely interesting personality. Yeah, and for whenever you're making these choices, I mean, you're picking a lot of off the ice stuff, right? <clears throat> that's kind of why I'm going with Ovechkin. Like, what is he like off the ice? Clearly, he's got charisma and personality on the ice and in front of the media. But hey, dude's got a family at home. What uh, got a family and a kid who seems like he could be a really good hockey player one day. <laughs> um, what is the relationship like at home? What is he, you know, everyone wants to see the cute stuff with the kid. Uh, I just think Ovechkin would probably be my top answer without uh, without searching around and just, like, looking at every roster and trying mm-hmm. to, you know, cherry-pick names. But, yeah, I think Ovechkin, Marner, and Zegers are three pretty easy ones that uh, could be entertaining television. Mm-hmm. My thing is I want, I want different storylines. I want to make good television. I want... Mm-hmm. I want Things that people are going to be paying attention to, regardless if it's in this or not. Because you're going to see the headlines throughout the season, and you're going to be like, oh, I wonder what was behind that. I wonder what went into that story. And then we'll have them. Like, that's what I wanted to look at. The first name that I had right away, I want to follow around Connor Bedard in his rookie season. That's a good one. I would want to see what it's like for an 18-year-old phenom to acclimate to the National Hockey League level, not just in general, but in an original six organization in a city that is thirsty to get their team back to the playoffs and back to prominence. 
What does that look like for Connor Bedard? How does he handle his welcome to the NHL moments? How does he handle those first matchups? How does he just perform in general? What does he do off the ice to try to stay prepared and stay focused? That's a very, very interesting storyline this season that I would like to follow on a more in-depth basis. So I have Connor Bedard there because I think that would be great. The second name I have is Matthew Kachuk. Coming off of a year, yeah, coming off of a year where he became one of the most marketable stars in the National Hockey League, he has the personality, he has the charisma, he plays on a team that just went to the Stanley Cup final and came up short, which I think would be way even more interesting than picking somebody off of Vegas because Vegas, yeah, you won the cup, that's cool. How do you get back there? But what about the team that lost? The star of the team that lost, where he wasn't even on the ice when his team finally got the last, you know, bullet in the chamber. He was injured, trying to play through it, the marketable star, the guy that was blowing up the playoffs, how does he bounce back from that? How does he respond to now probably getting a lot more national attention despite playing in a smaller market like Sunrise, Florida? I would imagine you get some really interesting mic'd up moments throughout the season as well with Matthew Chuck. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they already... The NHL followed him around for a day, I believe, too. So it's already a good start. We already know he's a marketable person. I mean, Jimmy Butler wearing a Kachuk jersey at his own practice. He's got that crossover uh, talent, that crossover personality that uh, the NHL needs to utilize a lot more in their players. Find the guys that can do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the last one here, uh, bringing it back to the Pittsburgh Penguins, in a certain way shape or form because I at the end of the day if I was the executive at Netflix I wouldn't pick anybody currently on the Penguins roster but even if there is no trade to be had yet I'm following around Eric Carlson mm-hmm. for you know reigning Norris trophy winner whether he's traded to the Penguins traded to the Hurricanes or whether he's still in the San Jose Sharks because if he's traded specifically to Pittsburgh It's the quest for the first Stanley Cup, the elusive Stanley Cup, for one of the best defensemen of the salary cap era. If he's not, that's even better television. What does that look like when he shows up to training camp in San Jose? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Hey, will the trade get done? Is he going to pull the trade request? Is he going to stay here the entire season? What happens towards the trade deadline if he's still there? And then if you get the trade mid-season and you're getting that on television... Everybody loves the in the room immediately following the trade deadline. Oh, here's Ricardo Kell with his flannel walking through Pittsburgh Airport with all of his gear. Here's Jared McCann and Nick Bukestad chugging down Red Bulls, trying to make it to the game, getting there after the national anthem, trying to get dressed for the game. That would make remarkable television, whether he's traded before the season or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a storyline to follow. I mean, it's something that we can't stop following <laughs> here in our own heads it's something that we just keep waiting on we every with each passing day it is is today the day is today the day is it tomorrow uh following that around could be interesting especially closing in on training camp if the sharks decide because they can do that if decide to keep them well here we go opening day of training camp and you're still here camera pan to eric carlson what's his face looking like how's he doing what's going on now we pan up to the GM's office and we see no work going on. <laughs> it, there's a lot of drama that could come from that as well. So that's yeah, another great choice, yeah. So my three, Connor Bedard, Matthew Kachuk, Eric Carlson, your three, uh, remind me if I'm wrong, you said Mitch Marner, Trevor Zegras, and Alex Ovechkin, correct? Two young two youngins that are just trying to make it in the league. And there's a lot of storylines you could follow with uh, Marner. 
the Toronto Maple Leafs are just in and of themselves a yeah. Netflix documentary waiting to happen. I think oh, I forget Amazon already did one. They but did it was just for Canada. Yeah, all or nothing. Um, I mean, I watched it. All or nothing for Amazon Prime Video. Um, they followed that team around for an entire season, and it was an interesting season. Yeah, I mean, every season with them is interesting. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's another one following. Martyr around just being the focal point of the personality that can take a show like this uh, to the Maple Leafs and their quest to do something more than just went around. And the, like you mentioned, there's a lot of drama going on in Toronto right now. New GM, they are trying to do new deals with their stars that might not get done. Uh, and this offseason is an interesting one for them, and this upcoming season will obviously be just as interesting. As for Zegers, I think that one was kind of just the pulling the entertainment out of the hat. Here's a very bad team, but a very good player. Have fun, Netflix. And as for Ovechkin, I mean, he's chasing down one of the greatest uh, players of all time when it comes to... Yeah. Sti- or one of the greatest statistics of all time. Uh, hard to not follow something like that. He's an aging player that is trying to keep as youthful as possible when it comes to getting this milestone so yeah i think all good options all six of these options are entertainment worthy anyway Mm -hmm. storylines to be had everywhere yep well there you go netflix we just handed you a show uh, and you're paying just as much for it as you usually pay your writers so there you there you have it Um, but that is gonna do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg podcast we hope you enjoyed this one a little bit of fun back and forth a little bit of hypothetical but hey it's july 20th That's the nature of the game right now. It is silly season in the NHL. And until we get any news on Eric Carlson, because we are on day 20 of EK65 watch, until we get any more news than that, you're going to get silly season. So that's going to do it for this one. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time. 